Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. All right, you may be seated as our kiddos head on out. Well, we're going to continue uh, our study of Genesis. We uh, are uh, in the middle of uh, Joseph revealing himself to his brothers uh, up to this point. Uh, He has not yet done that. And, um, you know, the story of Joseph is... Uh, one that uh, just pretty anyone who has had anything to do with the Bible, like I, I really like that story. That's a, that's a good one. And I think part of it is uh, we all admire Joseph, right? We, um, we like to, some, maybe some of us like to think we are Joseph in the story. Probably uh, more likely we're the brothers, uh, if we're being honest. Um, but there's a lot to admire about what Joseph does. And I think uh, as we look at this week, we're going to see uh, Joseph really paralleling uh, someone who comes 2,000 years later, um, Jesus, in all that he does in regards to extending forgiveness to his brothers. And as we think about um, forgiveness, what does that mean? Uh, one, of the, one of the terms we often throw around in the church is, uh, I'm saved. I'm saved. Well, what, what does that mean? What are you saved from? Uh, some uh, have a gospel where we're saved from our problems, right? Just come to Jesus and you won't have any more problems. But Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So that's not true. Uh, some people would say uh, he'll save you from poverty, right? Just accept Jesus and you will get riches, Uh, But Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's not it. What about uh, being saved from people? If I become a Christian, I'll become a nicer person and people will like me. Well, Jesus said that if you want to live a godly life, people will persecute you. So what do we save from? Save from what? And in order for us to understand God's love and to understand his forgiveness towards us, we must understand what we are saved from. And so I've entitled this morning's message, The Experience of Salvation. And it is our prayer that everyone here has a story to tell where they have experienced what the brothers are about to experience in regards to forgiveness and salvation. So let me pray for us before we get into God's word, and then we're going to study together. God, we are so thankful for your love, for your grace and mercy towards us. God, you have not treated us as we deserve. God, I pray that that's the story for everyone here today, that God, they've come to know you as a God of love and a God of compassion and a God of forgiveness that they have had their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. But God, if there are some here who still don't understand that, God, would you open their eyes to that today? God, would you grant them repentance, Lord, that they might be saved? 
Lord, we pray for those of us who do know you as we think about salvation. God, I pray that you would awaken in our hearts a joy, a gratefulness, and a passion for this gospel, the good news, that anyone who believes on your name shall be saved. So God, would you lead us? Would you help us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. We're going to be looking at Genesis 45 in chapter 46 up to verse 27. So if you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand. Uh, sure, will be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. And then if you don't have one at home, just keep the one we're giving to you as a gift. So we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be saved and, and as we do, I'm going to be telling it in a sentence, okay? So the first point is just the beginning of the sentence. So as we look at verses 1 to 3, first we're going to see the terror of certain judgment. The terror of certain judgment. Again, just to review, the brothers have come to see Joseph for the first time in 20 plus years in chapter 42. And that begins over 42, 43, and 44, this process where Joseph is seeking to know their hearts. What's going on in their hearts? Are they, are they repentant about what they did to him 20-some years earlier? Are, do, they, do they feel guilt? And, and what we've seen by God's grace is that they do feel guilty, not just about the, the sin itself, but they feel guilty before God. Anytime that, that, that as, as Joseph, in this incredible way, that can only be from the Lord, as he continues to kind of point him to remind them of what they have done, they realize that they've sinned against God. And we've come to this culmination in chapter 44. Where they've, they've had this party the day before. It was great. They feasted together. They were being shown grace upon grace. They didn't even understand how much grace they're being shown. And, 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 and they're wondering, okay, we're guilty before God, and yet we're being shown grace. And now they're on their way home, and they're stopped and said, hey, somebody took Joseph's silver cup. And they're like, well, that's not true. It's so not true that whoever has it, you can kill that person, and then the rest of us will become your slaves. And the servant who actually put the silver cup in said, well, that's not how it's going to work. But... The person who did take the silver cup, they will be enslaved, and then the rest will be free to go. That's what's going to happen. And so they let down their sacks, and everyone's going through their stuff, and they start with the oldest, so Reuben, and down, 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 down. And then Benjamin opens his sack, and guess what? There's the cup, just as it had been placed. <laughs> and, and, and now, what will happen? This is the last test. Are they, are they truly repentant? Do they, do they just care about themselves still? Or do they care about their dad, who's back home? Do they love him? And do they love their brother, Benjamin? And what we find is when the cup is found, they all tear their clothes and they go back with Benjamin to Joseph. They didn't say, well, that's too bad, buddy. See you later. That's what they would have done 20 plus years earlier. That's what they would, exactly what they have done. But they don't. And they go with him. And Judah is now, he's shown himself to be a leader, showing himself to be a godly man. He speaks on behalf of them. He doesn't try to hide any kind of guilt, but he says this in 34, 16. What shall we speak? 
Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. So the first thing he does is he says, we'll all be your servants as a result of what has happened. And he says, interestingly, that that God has found out their guilt. They know they're guilty before him. They feel the weight. It wasn't about the cup. They're, they're feeling the weight of, of their sin against their brother from 20 plus years earlier. They, they, they know that this unconfessed sin they're guilty of. And so now he says that to him. He says, we'll all be your servants. And then Joseph does this. He gives them one last test. He said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. Just the one who took the cup, the rest of you are free to go. One last try. And then Judah again, once, once again, speaks up and says, listen. And he tells them the whole story. I went home. Simeon wasn't with us. Dad didn't want to send Benjamin. And I said, I will be the one who is responsible. And then he says this, take me as the slave and let my brother Benjamin go. Like you couldn't have a more polar opposite reaction to what the guy had done 22 years earlier. The guy earlier, Judah was the one who was responsible for him being sold into slavery. And now he's saying, let me be the slave. God has truly changed this man's heart. And so this is where we pick it up. This is exactly where we ended off. And we find in 45.1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Earlier, as we were reading through, he'd get kind of emotional. He'd check himself, go somewhere else, get composed, and then come back and say, okay, now let's do this. This time he doesn't do that. Instead, he cried, make everyone go out from me. So all his servants, everyone who would attend to him, they're taken out. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He didn't want a bunch of, he didn't want an audience for this. And this is a very intimate thing. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. This is how loud, this, the point is, this is how loud he's crying. He's just crying out in, in just great emotion now and revealing himself to his brothers. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And to be a fly on the wall, right? Just to, like, I can't imagine. How do the brothers react? And he says, first he says, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. He's no longer, is your father alive? Is dad alive? Is my father alive? He's like, just like I, I know you guys haven't, haven't been the most trustworthy people. <laughs> you know, is dad really alive? And, and the, what do they answer him? Nothing. They're in shock. They're in shock. This guilt, this weight of sin that they've been feeling upon him, the guy that we've sinned against is standing right in front of us. He's been there all the time and we didn't see him. And now, there's nothing we can do. There must be judgment coming. This is is what they must expect at this point. They know they're guilty before him. There's no turning back and doing it over again. It's over. As far as they're concerned, it's over. The most powerful man in the world is about to pour out judgment on them for what they have done. I was just thinking about how many parallels this is to, 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 to what so many people will face on the day of judgment. 
God who's been right there all along. Romans 1 says that the creation cries out and, and shows them that there is a God. Every single person knows that there is a God, but they suppress the truth. And they follow after other gods. And they say that there is no God. And they ignore him. But every person here today, every human being who's ever lived, will stand before God one day. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Can you imagine standing before him, knowing you have nothing that you can do? Knowing that you've sinned against a holy and just God. It will be as it was for these guys. This word for dismayed, it means to be terrified, to be confounded, to be struck with fear. The idea of despondency, like hopelessness, as you stand before him. And he who is a just God must punish sin. And so, as you stand before him as judge, if you have never repented of your sin, if you have never been made right before God, and there is only one way to be made right with God, which is through Jesus Christ, if you've never done that, then the judgment will be guilty. And the sentence will be this. Jesus describes it as hell, a place called hell. A place where worm does not die, fire is not quenched, a place of outer darkness. In other words, all it is is about darkness. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the punish will, punishment will be eternal. Eternal. For sinning against a, an eternal God. It's horrifying. And I pray that everyone here today would feel that weight. That you would understand what God is doing for us here this morning and warning us about the consequences of sin. This is what we all must come to face. If we do not understand the weight of our sin, if we do not understand the consequences of our sin, then there can be no salvation. We will not turn from that wrath. We will continue to walk towards it if we do not understand the consequences of our sin. If we think that we can just be good enough people and somehow be religious and God will be good with us, we will have failed. You must believe upon Christ if you would be saved. But if you do believe, if you have been repentant of your sin, as the brothers have shown himself, instead of terror, Terror is replaced by forgiveness, intimacy, reconciliation, provision, and peace. What Joseph does for his brothers is what Christ does for you and I. Joseph does this not because Joseph is perfect. Joseph does this is because the character of God has been formed in him. He is able to forgive because God is a God who forgives. He is able to love and show compassion because he knows the God who is a God of love and compassion. We cannot do these things in our own strength. 
And so instead of judgment, they receive, first of all, forgiveness. You see this in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I mean, these guys, again, they're in shock. So they're like, what? What? Say it again. So he says it again. I am your brother Joseph. You remember the one you sold into, into, into slavery? Like that, I'm that guy. And I think it's important to note here, the sin is real, right? The sin against Joseph is real. This is not a small thing. Their offense against him was great. He suffered much as a result of what they did to him. He had, as far as our idea of justice, he had every right to say, put him in the stocks. Let's torture them for a while. And then I'll think about the next thing I'm going to do to get my justice against these men. There's part of us like, yeah, yeah, that's what should have happened. But so much greater is grace. So much greater is love, which is exactly what he's showing to these guys. He tells them to draw near and he speaks words of comfort to them. Like he feels bad for them. Can you imagine? Like you think about anybody here been sinned against? Anyone? Okay, a couple of you. Okay. I mean, we all have been, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, whatever. And then sometimes it's like really, really painful. Like hurts so much. And brings up all kinds of emotions in us. Anger. Bitterness. Hatred. And we want justice. Like that's real. Like that's there. And, and if, if not for God's grace to help Joseph, those things would remain there. But God has changed him. And so instead of pouring out wrath, instead he shows compassion. He says in verse 5, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do not fear. Like don't, don't be angry anymore. It's okay. Why is it okay? Because the Lord is sovereign. His focus is on the Lord as it has been, as we've seen over and over again. He remains focused on what God is doing. Even when someone sins against him, he sees that God is using this. Like what a perspective that we desperately need in each of our lives. That even this, God, you are sovereign over For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Like Joseph sees the hand of God in every heartache he's ever experienced. When you think about his life, he starts, starts pretty good. It's pretty sweet dreams. Everybody's bowing down before him. Like, that's good, right? But that, that turns into quickly into brothers hating him, selling him into slavery, 
Okay, now things are better. I'm, you know, I'm in a land that's not my own, but, but you know, and I'm separated from my dad. But, but at least I'm, I'm making a living here. And then Potiphar's wife lies, and he's sent to a prison. And then while he's there, he, he interprets this guy's dream, another dream. And like, okay, now I'm going to get out of here. But then there's two more years of not getting out of there. And then what? But then there's another dream. And God uses that to bring him out of that prison. And now he is Lord over all of Egypt. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, well, the good parts were from God and then everything else is from man and from Satan. No, he sees God's sovereignty is over everything. He's not the author of sin, but he will not be thwarted by man's sin. This is incredible. Like it just kind of hurts your brain a little bit, right? Anyone? Right? And I'm sure that's what's going on with the brothers. They're like, uh, we're guilty still, right? Yep. They were, but they're being forgiven here. They're being forgiven. Because he sees God's greater plan. To be able to offer this kind of forgiveness can only happen when we have our eyes on the Lord. That's the only way you can do it. You and yourself cannot muster up this kind of forgiveness. When you focus not on the offense against you, but rather on the grace that has been given you through the actions of the Lord. That's how we then can have a heart to forgive. When we see how much we have been forgiven... When we see, keep our eyes on the Lord and say, God, your will be done in our life, this is the beginning of how we forgive. And part of this being able to forgive is understanding how much you have been forgiven. Let's be honest. Even with one another, we make very little of our own sins and we make very much of everyone else's sins. And so it is with our sins against God. We make very little of our sins against God and everybody else's sins against us are really, really big. But that's, the opposite is true. You have sinned greatly against a perfect, holy, loving God. Yet, he says, I forgive you through Jesus Christ. So, forgiveness is given to these guys. Reconciliation then is able to happen. This is how it works. Somebody repents, forgiveness is extended. He says in verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. And note again, his focus is on what the Lord has done. Not on what he has done, but what the Lord has done. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. They're no no longer going to be separated because of their sin. He again invites them to draw near to him and that all of them now should be with him. He assures them that what he says is true. That there should be no delay in going and getting dad. 
once he hears of all that God has done and the fact that there's still five more years of famine to come. I don't know if you notice in verse 6, there's like, they're even going to stop planting for the last five years. Like, they're like, maybe the first couple of years, they're like, eh, we don't, is this Joseph, right? Like, yeah, yeah, nothing. We just keep putting seed in the ground and nothing's coming up. So for five more years, not even going to be any, and not even seeding the land. So go, go get dad. Benjamin, you can help be a witness that I really am alive of what, what's been happening here. And, and, and tell them that, tell dad that God has put me in a position of honor in Egypt. No longer any separation as a result of this transaction of repentance and forgiveness. This is how reconciliation works. Confession, repentance, forgiveness. Confession, repentance, forgiveness. That's how it works between you and I, and how it works between you and the Lord. I love how the Lord gives us these these visual pictures through relationships like this, but he also did that on Good Friday. We're going to come celebrate that here in a short time. I can't believe how quickly months are going by, but end of March, we're going to come together. We're going to celebrate Good Friday together, and on that day, when Christ hung upon that cross, it says that the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Just because? Why was that done? Because that curtain represented something. That only a high priest could go into the Holy Holies. And that on one day of the year. But now God is saying, no longer will that be the case. Now, through Jesus Christ, you will be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. We can be reconciled to God. Every single person here. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned. No matter what you have believed in the past. If you would place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sin. He would forgive you. And you would be reconciled to him. No longer an enemy, but now a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's pretty cool. Not only do we get to be reconciled to God, but we get to go tell others that they might be reconciled to God. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. So as we leave this place and going into a world, is there any anger out there? Like, I mean, in the world, is there anything going on like that? Any wars? Any, any hatred going on? Like, like, that's the world we live in. That's the default. And that's what we've been learning over and over and over again in Genesis. A world full of violence and anger and hatred. That's what we do when left to ourselves. But God has come. And he has made things different and he is he's telling us, not only can you be reconciled, but everyone that you would speak to, I want you to tell them that they too can be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So that's our joy. So instead of judgment, they received forgiveness, reconciliation. Then we see this picture of intimacy in verses 14 and 15. Then they fell upon his brother's, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And that, after that, his brothers talked with him. Finally, they can talk. Right? I mean, there's... Uh, 
It still sounds okay, but I, I, I think we're still getting it. I think we're still going to get it. Like that's what they think. That's what they believe. And, and, and if we're being real and we understand the weight of our sin, there is a little bit of that, like, really? Really you forgive me? Like, I know me. I know me. I know what I've done. You still forgive me? And he said, yeah, I still forgive you. Come here. Right? And there's this embrace. And they weep together. Now, if you've been with us for our study of Genesis, this was not common amongst the brothers. Right? The first 17 years of Joseph's life, I don't know that they ever hugged. Like, they, this, these brothers hated one another. And now we see this intimate relationship as a result of forgiveness that, that, that only God can give us. I love how Hughes puts it. All the guilt was gone. Joyous love enveloped all, and they talked and talked about 20 years times 12, some 240 plus years of catching up. And we're not told what they, talk, what, they, what they talked about, but here's what I don't think they were saying. Yeah, you remember that one time when you hurt me and did this? Like that's not what's going on. They're, they're talking about their joys. They're talking about their, they, they, how much they love one another. That, that's, that would be the picture of what's happening here. And that they're so thankful for forgiveness and that God has allowed them to come back together again. This family that, that like, for all intents and purposes looked like they were going to be ripped to shreds. God, in his grace, has brought reconciliation. Through Christ, we are able to have so much deeper intimacy with one another. Like, real relationships require forgiveness, Right? Any married couples here? Okay, one hand. Okay. And, 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 and I guess I'll just talk to this couple. <laughs> have, you, have you guys ever had to like confess sin and, and ask for forgiveness? That's, that happened. Huh. Weird. <laughs> like that every, every single person marries another singer. Sinner. Singer. <laughs> Sinner. Right? This is what happens, and, and though we don't intend it, we sin against each other. Like that just, that's what happens. And if that relationship is going to continue, then there needs to be confession of sin, there needs to be repentance, and there needs to be forgiveness. And what happens is that after year after year of year after that, there's this deeper intimacy that happens in couples as a result of that. When you first said you loved each other, you believed it. But I hope that that pales in comparison to when you say it now, 20 years later. Either you really do love each other. All your warts and whatevers, right? You still love each other. Because why? Because Christ first loved us, we are able to love. And so it is in the body of Christ. If this is your church, if this is your home, guess what? You're going to have to extend Forgiveness towards one another. You will hurt each other. This room is full of sinful people. And as a result of that, you're going to say dumb things. You're going you're to hurt one another. And confession will need to happen. Repentance will need to happen. And then forgiveness will need to happen. That, that's what needs to happen every time. And let's not play the world's game. I'm sorry. That's a great board game, but it's not the way God designed life. Okay, 
I'm sorry, he's always followed by what? But. I'm sorry, but I was tired. I'm sorry, but I was angry. I'm sorry, but it was really your fault. You're not sorry, you just want it to be over. Right? And maybe it's just me, but I I can default to that really, really, really quick. Why? Because of my pride. I don't want to admit that I sinned. I want to somehow hold on to that I'm still a good person. But the way God designed it is you confess your sin. I sinned against you when I blank. Will you please forgive me? And then the other person says, don't worry about it. No, they don't. They say, I forgive you. Because they were hurt. They were sinned against. And so now there needs to be forgiveness extended. That's what needs to happen over and over and over again in our relationships. And as we do that, God draws us closer to one another. There is an intimacy there that will not happen if you bolt every time you get hurt. So, these are all gifts that God gives us. We deserve hell. Instead, God, in his grace, for those who are repentant and place their faith in them, receive forgiveness, reconciliation, intimacy, also provision. Provision. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. He's like, okay, now we know what's going on. This is why he was crying, and okay, that's great. He, 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 what's, what, let, me, let, me, let me say a few things. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and, for, and bring your father and come. And no, have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Pharaoh now ratifies what Joseph had suggested already. He is, by, uh, after all, Pharaoh, right? I mean, you can see Joseph really is running everything, but, but Pharaoh still needs to give his blessing on these things, right? And he does. And he says the fat of the land should be theirs. What did they deserve? Torture, judgment. Instead, they're getting the fat of the land. The best of the land will now be theirs. Not just land, but the best of the land. Not just provision, but the fat of the land. They're they're, they're given wagons to go get all their stuff, to bring everyone back. A ton of food to provide for them. I mean, over an abundance of provision. This is the picture here. And they're then each giving a set of clothes, which is interesting, right? I mean, they have clothes on their back as they come, obviously. But I believe this is, and the commentators, many commentators commented on this as well. This is an act of reconciliation. They had taken his clothes from him. Instead, he gives them clothes to say, I love you. It's over. What you've done is in the past. Here's some new clothes. And then he gives Benjamin five sets of clothes. And 
a whole lot of dough, right? And again, we could be like, well, that doesn't seem fair, right? We live in a very fair-oriented culture, okay? If we're, if we're being honest, that's our whole world, right? Like, everybody should have equal. But that's not how God works. Jesus, when he's giving parables, he's like, all right, God gave five talents to this guy and two talents to this guy and one talent to this guy. Like he is God. He can do what he wants. It's all his stuff. So he can give what he wants to whom he wants. And so it is for Joseph. He owns it all, right? I mean, he's, 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 he's this, this powerful man. He can do what he wants. And so he desires to give his brother more. And so he does. And what you and I ought to do is not focus on what the others have. We mentioned this again last week, but it just keeps coming up over and over again. And, and instead, we focus on what God has given us. What has he given you? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's just think about this for a second. He's given you his Holy Spirit to indwell you. That, that's pretty incredible. Like you're not left to life on your own now. You're not like, I have to try really hard. You know, you say, God, by the power of your spirit, help me to. And then we looked at this last summer, but you get to see some of this fruit of the spirit in your life. You get to see things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in your life. It's a fruit of the spirit. Not, not by any works that you have done, but because God is gracious, he's given you his Holy Spirit that you might live out the life he desires you to have. He, he's given us his word, the, the scriptures. It's incredible this gift that you and I have that we take so flippantly now. We have like 7,000 different ways to access it in Canada. But people literally died for this. And we've been given it. Why? To help us, to guide us, to, to, to show us who he is. He's given us this body of Christ to equip us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. He's, he's given us the privilege to serve him. We who were once enemies of him, he says, now please serve me. And we, we get the honor to do so, to, to encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord to be ambassadors for him to a lost and dying world. And that's all the spiritual things. I mean, there's so many more things we could bring up. And then there, the daily provision of food and water and clothing and shelter. And Jesus simply says about those things, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I mean, it is incredible all that God has given us. He richly provides all that we need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, just not getting hell and nothing else would have been more than we deserved. But then he pours out these abundant riches upon us. This is incredible. And I pray that, I don't care how long you've been in Christ, I pray that your spirit is being stirred and you're like, yeah, it is pretty incredible. Like, yeah, right? If you're not, then, then pray. God, help me. I have, a, I, have a, I have a hard heart right now about how much you've given me. Like, help me not to be ungrateful. Help me to be thankful, God, for all that you provided. And then 
in the life to come, eternal life. There's this inheritance waiting for us, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And we will be in the presence of the king. We got the marriage supper of the lamb waiting for us, like we we just heard about um, earlier in Revelation 19. And then the last thing that we note here is that the brothers also receive peace. Verse 24, then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. And he seems like he knows his brothers, right? This is something they normally would do. They leave there and like, I told you, I told you. Reuben would be like the front of the line. I told you guys, shouldn't have done that. And, 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 and they just start arguing and bickering. And, and, and really what Joseph is saying here, forgive one another. As I've forgiven you, you forgive one another. And so it is for you and I as the people of God today. We forgive because why? We have first been forgiven. We have peace with one another because we have peace with God. There's a whole lot of pages in the New Testament talking about the fact that we are now one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither rich nor poor. We are one in him. And that peace with one another does not come naturally. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and him helping you to forgive one another. If you grew up in a culture where you always hated that culture, you think about all these wars going on with one another right now, and, and, and then you wind up sitting beside somebody like that and that other, from that other country sitting beside, I mean, your first reaction naturally would be to hate. But because you're now in Christ, you have peace with one another. You're now one in him. Your citizenship on this earth doesn't matter anymore. And you're able to forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. Boy says this, do you have trouble forgiving someone? Has someone deeply wronged you and does your body tense up in anger whenever you think of him or her? Have you prayed about it and had little relief? If so, try thinking of the wrong as part of God's providence. See his hand in it. Think of the good he's accomplishing. If you can gain that perspective, you will find your anger softening and discover at last that you're actually able to forgive the one who has wronged you greatly. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Understand even the hurt that you have received at the hands of others. Even God is sovereign over that. And he is using it for your good and for his glory. It says in Romans 8, 28, this was not just a Joseph thing. This is an everyone who is in Christ thing. It's only through prayer and getting our eyes on the Lord that we can forgive those who have hurt us deeply. So we see terror of certain judgment was replaced by forgiveness and intimacy, reconciliation, provision, and peace through the son that was believed to be dead. Through the son that was believed to be dead. All of this happened through Joseph, who everyone thought was dead. You and I receive all those things, how? Through Jesus, who everyone thought was dead. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. It's interesting that when they came and told him he was dead, they're like, he was like, yep, he's dead. There was no disbelief then, but now there's disbelief. Why? He's been mourning his son for 22 years. He's dead. I've accepted the fact. He's dead. 
Why are you guys saying this? This numb, he's in shock. He's in shock that they would say such a thing. Like, how could you say that? Right? Like, how mean are you being right now? I mean, they can't get it, right? They can't get it. Or he can't get it. It reminds us of the reaction of the disciples when they hear that Jesus has been risen from the dead. They don't believe, right? Which is so crazy. Because the Pharisees had overheard Jesus saying, hey, on the third day I'm going to rise again. They so believe it that what? They put a guard over the tomb so that, you know, Jesus can't get away. I mean, obviously their plan worked really, really well. But, um, but they believed, right, that they, 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 this was at least a thing. And for the, for the disciples, they, they, they're like, he's alive? They, they, they're, they're numb. They're, they, they disbelieve. And, and, and some, like even like Thomas, until he can place his hand, right, in his side, then, then he would know. And God is so gracious. And he's like, okay. And then he says, what? Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And blessed are you this morning if you believe that Christ has come, that he lived the perfect life, that he died and on the third day rose again. And over 40 days, he showed himself to the disciples. And then 40 days later, he went into heaven. He ascended into heaven. He's been sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day soon, he's going to return. May we all believe. What we see, Jacob's initial disbelief is now changing. Verse 27, when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, is it enough? Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And he's like, okay, tell me again. What? And Benjamin's like, yeah, dad, for real, okay? And, and then he's looking around, and he's like, well, Benjamin's here, Simeon's here, all this stuff is here. I believe. I believe. I don't know how this all worked, but I believe. Hughes says this, God is not just proving his control of events, but keeping his promise to the patriarchs that they should have a multitude of descendants, or as Joseph puts it, a great number of survivors. As we've been going through Genesis, we've been seeing over and over again, there's this, this threat, right? When sin comes into the world, there's this threat that we will just kind of implode. But in Genesis 6, we see a remnant is saved from the curse. In Genesis 19, we see Lot is saved. And we read back in verse 7, that God sent Joseph before them to preserve for them, what? A remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. See, in Genesis 3, God made a promise that there would be one who would come who would crush Satan, who would reverse the curse, who would end death and sin. So Abraham is through whom that will come. If the famine kills them all, what happens to the covenant? It's over. But God is always true to his word. And so he's keeping this promise. Just as he does today. Through the new covenant, we are now partakers of that covenant through Jesus Christ who was killed and laid in a tomb. 
As we already alluded to, those closest to him believed that he would remain dead, but Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said it would. Death is now defeated. The chains of sin have been broken. And just as the spirit of Jacob was revived, all those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you had a revival, right? Not just a revival of spirit, but God made you a new creation. The old things passed away. New things have come. You have been born again. You've been given the Spirit of God. And now we await the Lord God to come because of the Son whom everyone thought was dead. And then we see the terror of certain judgment was replaced by forgiveness, intimacy, reconciliation, provision, peace through the Son that was believed to be dead by the confirmation of God's word. Everything happened exactly the way God intended, just as it did 2,000 years ago. Verse 1, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. He's no longer being referred to as Jacob here. He's being referred to Israel. Why? Because this is the covenant people through whom God will bless all nations, through whom the salvation will come. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Before God had forbid them to go down to Egypt, right? We look at Abraham and Isaac and the story there. It was not a good thing to go to Egypt. And now he's saying, now it's time. Now is the time to go to Egypt. This is in fulfillment to what God had said to Abraham in Genesis 15, that they would sojourn in a land not their own for 400 years, and there God would make them into a great nation. Now, again, think about the original hearers of Genesis. Who is it? It's the people in the pro- out in the wilderness about to go into the promised land. They're looking at their own history. They see how they got to this point. Hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness ready to go into the promised land. And it all began with the 70 that God took to Egypt. And he promised that he would be with them when they went into Egypt. And he promised and they have seen that he would be with them as they left Egypt. God is always faithful to his word and to his people. Who were the 70? Maybe we should just take turns saying the different names. I will read them. And Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the, of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shela, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and 
Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Aridi, and Ereli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, with Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Machil. This, these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Mapim, Chupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaizil, Guni, Jazir, and Shelem. These are the sons of Bilha, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. God has been faithful to his covenant to Abraham. He's bringing in this family. The Abraham and Sarah who was barren now has become 70 by this generation, and we know that in their 400 years in Egypt, God will make them into a great nation. Well, just as God promised that he would be with Jacob as he went into Egypt, God has promised to you and I that he will be with us. As he left this earth, he promised that he would be with us to the end of the age. And so as we leave this place, we do know that we do not go out on our own, but we are with him. We are with the Lord. He is always with us. He is carrying us through. What he has begun in you, he is faithful to complete. I love how the Lord is always faithful to his promises. Everything that he says in his word, he will do. Just as Joseph was sent to save a remnant, Jesus was sent to do the same thing. Many will reject him. I pray that that's no one here. But God is saving a remnant and he will do so until he returns. Do you have a salvation story? Do you understand? Have you, could you relate to what I've talked about today? Do you have an experience of salvation? Do you remember the day when you felt the weight of your sin and knew that you deserved judgment? But by God's grace, did he open your eyes to see that forgiveness was possible? Reconciliation was possible? Have you experienced the provision that he's given you since that day? Through Jesus, who was thought to be dead, but has risen again, according to the scriptures. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for saving us. This is what we have been saved from, not from problems or poverty or people. Lord, we have been saved from eternal punishment due to our sin. Lord, we deserved it, every single one of us, but God, in your grace, you have provided a way to escape that through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that everyone here
has repented of their sins and placed their trust in you and are now living for you today. God, I pray for that. God, as we leave this place, God, help us to be ambassadors for you. Help us to be messengers of reconciliation. Help us to tell people in the midst of this dark and lost world, Lord, that they might be saved, that they might know love, true love, through Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified and honored in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.